is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nation Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering six conversations from our two-day coverage of the Liver Meeting 2022 and, instead of the vault, an interview with Inventiva Pharmaceuticals Chief Medical Officer Michael Corman and Stephen Harris. Sven Frank kicks off this conversation by comparing a range of non-invasive diagnostic tests, MAST, FAST, MIFID, FIB4, and NFS. You may recall that Mazanuruddin discussed this paper during one of our preview episodes. When introducing the paper, Sven shares two items that Mazan did not cover in the preview. First, the Professor Castera and his team used a fairly low ALT cutoff, 20 in women and 30 in men, as the sole liver entry criterion for the study. Second, he pointed out the implication of this, which was that they produced a relatively unbiased population sample that was not overly enriched for exhibition of NASH. Stephen Harrison joins the conversation to share some data from his presentation on the FASN inhibitor mentioned in episode 54 by Scott Friedman in 53.2 conversation. Stephen described that they used an AI-based percentage collagen computation in the FASN study and indicated that its highest correlation was with the FAST score and mass, and that AST alone has significant power, while FIB4, MIFIB, and MFS perform less well. After I broaden the conversation to ask what we've learned about tests in general in this meeting, Ian Rowe joins the conversation. He sums up the message he's derived from a range of studies to link the screening target, fibrosis versus advanced fibrosis versus cirrhosis, with the value of a two-step testing strategy as compared to going straight to FAST, as Stephen and Mazanuruddin has suggested on recent episodes. He believes in some cases here, going straight to FAST might make sense. Bjorn concurs. From there, I dive in to note that, as Laurent Costero pointed out in his presentation and the paper, the low gray zone of indeterminate tests on MAST promises a far higher level of true positive and negative results and significant cost savings in terms of reduced biopsy demand when screening patients for clinical trials. As the conversation ends, Ian adds to my comment his previous thought to state that as we have drugs we can use to treat patients in the community, providers need to become far clearer and receive better guidance about diagnostic goals and how to find the right test linked to each goal. With over 7,000 on-site attendees and tremendous amounts of positive energy, Deliver Meeting 22 produced exciting presentations, fantastic debates, and searing insights. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, catch everything in this series from us. And when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn discussion group. Sven Frank. I want to go for one of the very last presentations, which was by uh, Laurent Castera, who presented a study, a very interesting study on the performance and a head-to-head comparison of different uh, non-invasive tests, the, the faster mast, uh, the MIFIP-4 nephil fibrosis score on patients with type 2 diabetes. What was very particular to this study and very interesting was the way they selected the patients. So they reached out to their uh, diabetology clinics, but the inclusion was not based already on those non-invasive invasive, it was really just based on the liver enzymes, so on ALT with low thresholds, so 24 female patients and, and 34 male patients. And that was through the threshold and, of course, the exclusion of, of other liver diseases to propose a liver biopsy to these patients. And so you know, they ended up in that collaborative effort with 330 patients, if my memory is okay, with a liver biopsy and within a time frame of less than a week, also all the other investigations to, to look for diagnostic acute of course, they looked into different conditions to diagnose with the non-invasive approaches, but the most important one where Laurent reported the data on was on fibrotic NASH, so nephrot activity score of 4, and then F2, F3, or F4. Biopsies were read centrally by Pierre Pedosa, so it's quite a stringent reassessment of all the biopsies by one central reader at one single time point. So that gives quite a uniform reading of, of the liver biopsy. And then in terms of the results of the performance, 
performance was that the best results were with the fast and the mast, but still there you had an ORC of 0.82 for the fast and 0.79 for the mast. And then the other ones performed clearly. Those two were outperforming the other ones. And so that's really interesting results because also it's not just about the ROC, it was also about those that were correctly classified, uh, not correctly classified. And also the gray zone in, in between, which was narrowed down to about 10%, 11% with the mass, but was about 40% with the fast scoring system. So there was some discussion in the room, very interesting discussion on how this compares to what we already have as data on the accuracy of those non-invasive tests. And of course, you can discuss always that the reference method here is still the liver biopsy. But the most important thing here to me was the selection of the patients. They were not pre-selected on already an elevated liver stiffness or a FIP4 or whatsoever. It was a low threshold to go for a liver biopsy. It gives you a less biased cohort, I would say. It's, of course, not unbiased. There's always a selection criterion, so there's always selection bias. And another important conclusion from this study was that the condition itself, so the, the fibrotic NASH, was present in just a little bit less than 50% of the population, which is a huge and, and cumbersome number. We need to have more details on that. Uh, and that was also the discussion in the room, how to understand also the discrepancies between the liver histology and the imaging-based, mainly imaging-based non-invasive tests, and to better understand why you can have those discrepancies and also why it's, uh, in terms of accuracy, a little bit lower than what is mostly reported in the literature. So they still have to dig into the data to answer all these questions, but very interesting data. And as I said, the fact that nearly 50%, it was a little bit less than 50%, but it was approximately 50% had net fibrotic NASH was also, to me, a very important result of the study in people with sometimes very low ALT levels, just above those low thresholds of 20 and 30. 20 on women, 30 on men, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Who else saw the presentation or had reactions? I was there, but others? Stephen Harrison. I didn't see it, but just hearing Sven's comment, I can just add a little color to that from a presentation that we gave on Sagimet, looking at AI digital pathology and linking that to NITs. That's the first time that's been done. You know, all these NITs have been compared to other NITs and liver biopsy, but never to more of a continuous scale, an AI continuous scale. So when we looked at all these patients we screened in for the Sagimet trial, it was over 1,200, I believe, patients that were screened in. And then we compared the screening data to the screening liver biopsy. And we took that and looked at the total percent collagen content by histoindex. What stood out to me was the correlation between percent collagen and the FAST score. Correlation was in the 0.45 range, if I remember correctly. And this was highly significant. The other thing that stood out was AST value alone. And as Finn mentioned, you know, MAST and FAST both have AST in them. And I just think that the FAST score tends to stand out over and over again. Whether you look at screening strategy, you look at isolating for at-risk NASH, the so-called NAS of four more with F2 to greater fibrosis. And it's something that is generally readily available. Not everybody has a fibrous scan, but there are more fibrous scans than there are MRI machines. So I just find that helpful to see it stand up over and over again, whether it's a diabetic clinic, it's a screening population for a clinical trial or whatnot. So, you know, just reinforcing what we're seeing with that score. So let's spend a couple of minutes on this broad issue. I mean, Stephen, I think broadened it appropriately to the question of what we've learned about those tests this week. And then I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about drugs and nomenclature. Other, I have some thoughts on that, but let me hear other people first. Ian Rowe. Well, let me jump in, Roger. I think there were quite a few presentations 
publication through the day yesterday with similar relevant findings about testing in populations, you know, where the pretest probability ranges from relatively low from Naeem Al-Khoury's presentation of the validation of the AGA pathway using the NHANES data um, through a diabetic, um, mostly sort of secondary care population like this, to even more enriched populations like there are in the clinical trial data sets. And there was some thoughts emerging to me, and, and those were about how we either pre-select patients, how we enrich the population for testing, and if we do that, whether we still can rely on a two-step testing pathway. So the performance of FIB4 at the current cutoffs wasn't particularly brilliant in any of those, you know, and in the work that Sens was just talking about, Lauren Castero's work, the rule-out threshold when it was set at a sensitivity of 0.9 was less than 0.85. Now, you know, that, that excludes only 20% of people, meaning that 80% of people would need to go on to have downstream testing. Um, so if we're going to stick with the way that we're doing it at the moment to find significant fibrosis in these more enriched populations, it makes a strong argument just to go to a, what previously might have been considered to be a second-line test, but increasingly in those populations could, I think, be considered a first-line test, and I think that's what Marsden's been talking about when he's doing his studies on cost-effectiveness of that type of screening approach. That sort of changed the way that I've been thinking about the problem, um, if significant fibrosis is the target. I think if we're going to be looking for disease that's a bit more advanced, so advanced fibrosis, then you know, then the two-step strategy would probably stay in place, but, but what the target is the patients that you're looking for and the setting that they're coming from, I think is becoming increasingly important. Jorn, you look thoughtful. Jorn Schattenberg. I think I'm aligned here. It's been a meeting that brought forward a wealth of data on the accuracy of these tests in special populations. Also, Rohit Lumba presented data from the Resmeterome trial showing that if you move into a pre-selected population with high metabolic risk factors, FIP4 is not the test to identify patients with advanced fibrosis, and I presented some of that data at EASL. So, I, I like the approach Ian is describing. We have to fix the target, think about different situations. It's not a straight one-shot-fits-all test here. We've known that for some time, but now we get more numbers to uh, to relate to that. That's interesting. Out of all those things, the two things I found most striking, first of all, Stephen, in your study, in the Sajimit study, how poorly CAP fared. That, I think, was... An- I think, you know, let me just comment on that real quick, because... This will be made clear in the guidance document coming out through ASLD. CAP does not work for quantifying steatosis, at least the current CAP, the way that we've always utilized CAP. Now, I know there's some revisions to EchoSense's CAP measurement, but the one that the vast majority of people have around the world, it's only good for a binary yes-no. And that came perfectly clear in in that data set that I presented. That's something that people need to take away from. But just... Thanks for bringing that up. So that's number one. And then the second one, and this goes back to something Sven was talking about from the Castera paper. Ian, it's kind of the, the flip side almost of your point, which is that when he took a look at gray zone, that enabled him to do true positive and true negative. And one of the real striking findings was that the gray zone around mast was 10% and everything else was up in the 40s, which meant that you, at the end of the day, wound up with a vastly higher true positive, true negative score with mast than you did with the others. Now, what that says to me is that, and in fact, at one point, Mazen, I think, uh, ran numbers in his head and said, that you'd save $2 million in screen fail biopsies if you could get your indeterminate zone down the way the mass does. So part of, I think, what we're talking about here really is, and you guys have all pointed out, is what's the problem you're trying to solve? If the issue is how to do the best job of getting the right patients into clinical trials most efficiently, the results from Professor Costera's paper would suggest that mass really stands out. If you're talking about treatment, then I think FAST had a really good meeting in that regard as well. At least that's my sense of it. You guys tell me. I think that's what's on, Roger. And the excitement that we're hearing about with treatment coming and coming 
coming soon, I hope, you know, means that I guess the focus that there has been on improvement of patient centered trials and trying to limit the screen failure rates has been important, but we've really got to think about how we're actually going to use these drugs now, how we're going to select patients for treatment and using what tests. Yawn's right, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but the reality is, in you know, certainly in the UK, that trying to come up with, with bespoke testing strategies in different populations is, is only going to make things more difficult rather than easier, and, and I would like to see if we can try and find a, a unified approach that identifies as many people as possible so that they can be treated appropriately. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next Wednesday evening with a wrap-up episode taking a look at some of the highlights of the meeting from the perspective of folks we may not have heard from yet, including Will Alazawi, who's been with us once, and Moran Castera, who's never been with us before. It's going to be a fantastic session. Till then, stay safe, surf hot. Look forward to seeing you again next week on the podcast. Bye-bye now.